begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, thank you for coming into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. And thank you today that we can celebrate that because it's true. Thank you for the truth of your word that speaks to our heart. And now as we, as we turn to your word to continue to worship you, uh, we pray, God, that you would open up our minds and open up our hearts to hear the message you have for us and help our response to you to be, yes, wherever you lead, we're willing to go. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen. I want to invite our children to go ahead and head on back to your space where you can continue your worship. And while the children are going out, I uh, want to invite you to open your Bible with me to Psalm 119. Uh, as uh, Chandler said earlier this morning, we've been in Psalm 119 for, uh, this is our eighth week now, and we come to that conclusion of uh, the last three stanzas of Psalm 119 today, and uh, we invite you to keep your Bible open and move with us uh, as we celebrate God through His Word today. It is great today to worship on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, as you probably are aware, work has always been a part of God's plan for mankind. He created Adam and Eve, and he uh, put them in the Garden of Eden, and he said, go to work. And they had a job to do. He challenged them to, to, to go to work. Uh, in our country, uh, the first Labor Day was celebrated on June 28, 1894, June 28, 1894, when President Grover Cleveland signed a law making the first Monday in September of each year uh, a national holiday. Uh, it's always been interesting to me that we celebrate work by taking a day off. <laughs> Labor Day is a national holiday, and so we celebrate the great work that, that God has done and the great work ethic in our country by taking a day off. But for the past seven weeks, as I said, we have been uh, learning from Psalm 119. We've been learning that when life is hard, it is not time to take a day off, but it's time to turn to God's Word, to turn to the truth of God's Word and trust the Bible to find God in the middle of the challenges that we have in life. Uh, we can trust the Bible because, as we've said over and over and over, the Bible is God's radiant Word to warm your heart when you're cold and when you feel like you're being left out on the outside when life is hard. Uh, we can trust the Bible as our hiding place, as our refuge that we can run to when we're under enemy attack. We can trust the Bible because it encourages us to claim God's promises for hope and for help when we feel like we have no strength, when we feel like we have no hope. The testimonies of God are true, and we can trust His Word. And so as we come to the conclusion of our study of Psalm 119, we want to challenge you today to trust God's Word. James P. Boyce was one of the founders of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said, and I quote, When rightly taught and carefully followed, the Bible has the power to perform all that is necessary 
to fulfill God's purpose in the church. You know what God's purpose in the church is? It's to draw every man, woman, and child to Him. To trust Him. And we have a pattern to follow in knowing how to trust God, how to trust His heart, and that's given to us through His Word. So, Psalm 119, verses 153 to 176 uh, are these last three stanzas in Psalm 119, and they teach us that when you trust God, you can be guaranteed that what has been promised will happen in your life, even when life is tough, even when life is tough. So as we finish this last, this eight-week series on Psalm 119, you can read the Bible and you can obey the Bible and trust God for three things. So let's look at these last three things as we unpack this passage from Psalm 119 today. The first stanza, verses 153 to 160, we can trust the Bible for redemption. Trust the Bible for redemption. Verse 153, Psalm 119 says, Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. And so the Bible guides every man, woman, and child here today to trust God as your Redeemer, as your Deliverer. You need a Redeemer. Why do you need a Redeemer? Well, you need a Redeemer because you have turned your back on God. And you have rebelled against God. It's called sin. And sin separates you and me from God. And because we're separated from God and because our purpose that we were created is to give glory to God and worship Him with our life, when we sin, we lose our purpose. We are separated from Him and we need somebody to rescue us. We need somebody to redeem us. And God has promised to be that Redeemer. And the psalmist claims God as his Redeemer. Uh, he says, uh, plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. He's set up in the, in, in the arena of a courtroom. And he's asking an advocate come, come alongside of him and plead his case before the judge. Plead his case before God. And you need someone to plead your case before God as well. And we're going to see as we unpack this psalm and move through this psalm that God has accomplished that by giving us Jesus as our advocate, Jesus as the one to stand and plead our cause. So the Bible guides you to trust God as your deliverer and as your defender under affliction. You know, and I know, that affliction is a part of life. Affliction does one of two things. It will either push you away from God, or it will draw you to God. What's the difference? Well, the difference is where you put your trust and faith. If you put your trust and faith in God as your deliverer, then in times of affliction, He's going to be there for you to draw you to Himself to be your Redeemer. The psalmist affirmed that God is a redeeming God. The word redeem means to buy back. It means to return or restore to an original owner. And the psalmist prayed that God would stand and plead his case 
for deliverance when he was under affliction. I pray that you've come to that point in your life where when affliction comes your way, you will turn to God as your Redeemer. You will let Him plead your case for you because God redeems the affliction because He's a merciful God. The psalmist had a rational mind in verse 155 of Psalm 119. He says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Now, this is not the first time those of you who have been tracking with us through Psalm 119 have heard this. God is just, and He judges all sin. He judges all wickedness, all evil. But God is also merciful. Mercy is God giving us what we do not deserve. And God alone is 100% just and 100% merciful. And only He serves those two, uh, those two roles at the same time. In Psalm 14 and in Psalm 53, the psalmist makes an admission, and the Apostle Paul repeats this in Romans chapter 3, where the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. You're not righteous. So you need a Redeemer. I'm not righteous, so I need a Redeemer. And God has provided for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. His promise, God's promise for redemption was fulfilled perfectly when he himself became a man. He took on flesh. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to live a perfect life. Only he has ever done that. He lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross and sacrificed his life, he sacrificed his life for your sin and my sin, our wickedness, because we're not righteous, and He is. And for us to have fellowship with Him, we have to be righteous. And so He's provided that righteousness for us Himself. And here's the picture, the most beautiful picture in the world. God literally became sin for you. Perfect. He was perfect. Jesus was perfect. And yet he exchanged his perfection for your sin. And he took your sin and my sin on himself. And in exchange for that, he gave us his righteousness. What a redeemer. What a redeemer. I trust and pray that you have put your trust and faith in Jesus. His word leads us to trust his word, to trust his redemption, to set us free from the penalty of our sin and exchange for that his righteousness. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, here's what the Bible says. It says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, you can live righteously before God if you let Jesus come into your heart, change your life, and exchange your sin for his righteousness. I trust and pray that you have done that. If not, do it now. Right now, just trust God's righteousness as the substitute for your sin by confessing your sin to Him. 
The psalmist trusted the Bible when in verse 157, he said, Many are my persecutors and my advers- adversaries, but I do adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. And so once again, the psalmist was saying, God, I trust your word, your testimonies, your commandments, your precepts. I trust your word to sustain me because I put my trust in you. I put my trust in your word. And in the middle of adversity, I celebrate you. I trust you. When you live out loud for God today, when you put your trust in Jesus and you live out loud for him, you can trust three things. You probably are going to be pursued by persecutors. You probably are going to be pursued by adversaries. You probably are going to be pursued by, as the psalmist says here, faithless enemies. You can count on that. They're coming after you. But when you are under attack, you can trust the promises of God that he gives us in his word in the Bible. And he'll give us victory, the Bible says. That is a promise from God. God is going to keep his promises. Give you some examples. In Psalm chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, the Bible promises this. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You want to have God as your advocate? You want to have God as your redeemer? Then put your trust in him. Psalm 46, 1, the Bible promises God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Are you facing trouble today? Put your trust in the Redeemer that the Bible points you to, the promises of God. Psalm chapter 50, Psalm 50 and verse 15, the Bible says, call upon me in the day of trouble. Here's a promise from God. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So God promises to deliver those who know him. And today, if you're struggling, if the enemy's coming after you, find find a, a rescue, a redeemer, in the word of God, the truth of God, and the heart of God. And then... The psalmist sums up this stanza in verse 160. He says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. There's three things here that you can put your trust in. The psalmist says, You can trust the Bible because it's without error. Every single word of the Bible is true. He said, the sum of your word is truth. There's no error. There's no mixture of error in God's word. Secondly, you can trust the Bible because it's righteous. God is righteous. The word of God is righteous. It points you. Righteous means that it's perfect. It's without error. 
It's absolutely 100% reliable. It's perfect. So you can trust the Bible because of God's righteousness and because it is righteous. And then he says, every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So thirdly, you can trust the Bible because it's eternal. It never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can claim God's promises whenever you face trials in life because his word never changes. It's eternal. So bottom line, trust the Bible for redemption. It points you to the Redeemer. It points you to the Savior that you and I need, Jesus Christ. Secondly, in, the, in this next to last stanza in Psalm 119, trust the Bible for peace. We see that in verses 161 to 168. Verse 161 says, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. Now, all through Psalm 119, the psalmist constantly points out the fact that he's living under persecution. He's living under attack. And in persecution, he admits the fact that the Bible offers peace. Are you living life today with the peace of God guarding your heart and guiding your life? See, when you know Jesus, your Redeemer, the Bible says in John 16, here's what Jesus said. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So the world offers confusion, tribulation, struggle. But Jesus said, when you put your trust in me, when you put your trust in me, then I give you my peace. I hung out with one of my dear friends this week who's battling colon cancer. Not looking real good from a human perspective. They put a hospital bed in the middle of the downstairs portion of his house. And uh, the very spot where I knelt and prayed with him, talked with him this week, is a spot where we've celebrated birthdays together. We've celebrated um, after weddings and that kind of thing together. In that very spot, in that very house. But I, I knelt before him and as I came into his presence... I said, Bob, where are you right now? He closed his eyes and smiled and then looked at me and he said, Ronnie, I'm somewhere between heaven and earth. Somewhere between heaven and earth. And there was a peace about his total countenance and about the long conversation that we had together where he talked constantly that he was not, he had no fear in his life whatsoever. He had total peace. As I went away from that conversation Friday, I thought, you know, when, when I come to that place in my life where, you know, I may be transitioning from life on this earth to life in eternity, I pray that I'll have that same kind of peace as well. And that kind of peace is what Jesus offered. I mean, what greater enemy can you think of in this world today than death? I mean, it's probably the most feared enemy that anybody has. And yet, 
in the middle of facing that enemy, when you know Jesus, when you know the Redeemer, He offers peace. I celebrate that today. But what about the good times in life? I mean, that's some of the bad times in life. That's probably one of the worst times that somebody can face in life. What about the good times in life? Well, the psalmist has something to say about that as well. In verse 165, he said, In prosperity you can trust the Bible for peace. Great peace, he says, have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Uh, in verse 162, he says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds Great spoil. Great spoil was what uh, a conqueror came back with after they had a great battle and came back with all kinds of wealth from a battle uh, in the time that the psalmist lived. In times of, of, of prosperity, he was saying, we have an opportunity to have the peace of God reigning in our life. So whether it's, you know, in times of prosperity or in times of distress, in times of trouble or in times of victory. We can have the peace that passes all understanding in our heart when we have been redeemed by the Lord. When I dove off of the highest bungee jumping bridge, second highest bungee jumping bridge in the world, when I dove off that bridge, I had every confidence in the world, every trust in the world that that bungee cord was going to hold me up. Didn't I, Gary? I didn't have one bit of fear whatsoever jumping off of, off of that bridge. Why? Because I trusted the system. I trusted the bungee rope that was going to hold me up, and it did. How much greater can you trust God's Word, how much greater can you trust the Bible to know that in, in times of adversity and in times of prosperity, no matter what you're going through in life, God's Word will sustain you and hold you up and keep you strong. There's nothing like God's Word in persecution or in prosperity like trusting God's Word. He gives you joy. He gives you peace even in the midst of troubled times when you put your trust in him. And so the psalmist transitions in verse 163. He said, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. So what is falsehood? Falsehood is anything that is not 100% true. When something's 99.9% .9 true, it's false. If it's not 100% true, it's false. I mean, when, when Satan met with Adam and Eve in the garden, stood before the forbidden fruit, he told them a half-truth. He didn't tell them all of a lie or all of the truth. He told them a half-truth. Anything that's not 100% true is false. And the Bible exposes falsehood. The Bible exposes you when you're tempted to be somebody that you're not. The psalmist challenges us to choose peace and be ourselves. We don't have to be somebody else. We don't have to measure up to somebody else's standard. God has created you to be who you are for a purpose. So accept who you are by God's grace, by God's design, 
and celebrate your life with peace. The Bible will expose you for taking information or taking anything from someone else that's not yours and claiming it for your own. And so choose peace. Abhor falsehood. God's Word, the Bible, will expose you when you have an ulterior motive for doing a good deed, for serving, or doing a good deed for any reason, for selfish motives. You do something for your own gain. You do something for your own glory under the guise of serving God or under the guise of serving somebody else. And the Bible will expose you for that because that is falsehood. And God abhors falsehood, and you and I should abhor falsehood as well. So what am I saying? I'm saying trust the Bible for peace. And don't put on a false face. Don't try to be someone you're not. Don't try to take something that's not yours and claim it for you. Those kinds of things are falsehood. Psalm 1. 19 verse 164 then takes a radical turn. And I love this. I love this about this psalm. He says, seven times a day I will praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. When you have the peace of God controlling your life, nothing can Make you stumble, the psalmist says. Uh, the psalmist said seven times a day. Seven times a day is, uh, is in the Old Testament and the New Testament. When you see the number seven, that's the number of completion. And the psalmist was saying seven times a day, I'm going to give praise to God for his word. Six, nine, twelve, three, six, nine, and 12. In other words, the psalmist was saying, it's going to constantly be on my mind to give praise to God because I trust his word. I trust his promises. I trust the truth of, of his word. Imagine if you took time at 6 and 9 and 12 and 3 and 6 and 9 and 12 if you stay up that late <laughs> and give praise to God, what a difference that would make in your life. Why can you do that? Well, you can do that because you can trust God's promise to give you peace. And because you trust God to give you peace, you're going to celebrate Him. You're going to, you're going to praise Him. You're going, to, you're going to worship Him. I have a friend whose life a few years ago uh, was uh, seemed like radically changed. I mean, his whole demeanor kind of was transformed. I sat down with him. I said, Tommy, you know, what's the secret to what you're experiencing in life right now? He said, Ronnie, here's the truth. He said, at 6 and 9 and 12 and 3 and 6 and 9, he said, I eat. <laughs> he said, I eat 125 calories at 6 and 9 and 12 and 3 and then again, night at night, and at six, I eat what he called three greens and a lean. He, get, he said three green vegetables and lean meat. And I'm telling you, the guy was the picture of health, and he hadn't been that way most of his life. So I tried it. I, I did that discipline for about two years, 
And guess what? It works. It works. If you want to transform your life, put enough nutrition in your body at regular increments where your body doesn't have to generate fat to burn because it knows you've got another one coming. And if, if, you, if you go for it, you know, at 6 and 9 and 12 and 3 and 6 and 9, then your body will be healthy. It's not crying out for more food so it doesn't produce fat, store fat. How much more is that true spiritually? If you put God's word in your heart, you put God's word in your mind, in your life, you know, the psalmist says seven times a day, and I think he was being metaphorical. I think he was just saying, as a constant way of life, trust God's word, and God will give you peace. God will give you peace. In verse 168, he said, I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. What is your highest priority in life? Back up to 166. Verse 166. He says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. Here's the key. I love them exceedingly. Above everything else. The psalmist gave a testimony that he loved God through his word. God had given him his word, and there was nothing more important in his life. I love them exceedingly. What does it mean to love something exceedingly? I love my family. I don't know anybody that could love their family any more than I do. Friday morning, my grandson was born to my daughter. Uh, I can't wait to get my hands on him and, uh, and, and give, him, give him a hug. I love, I love my family. But listen, I don't love my family more than I love God, more than His Word. Uh, those of you who know me, I love sports. Man, I really do. I love just, if it's a sport, I don't even, some of them, I don't even know the rules or how to play them. I love sports. I just love it. But I don't love sports more than I love God. Many people in this world, you know, love money. All, all their life is built around getting, getting comfortable for retirement, that kind of thing. I love it, loving money. I, you know, you have to have money to, to survive. In a way, I may love, I love having enough money to survive, but I don't love money more than I love God. You get the point. The psalmist was saying, my soul keeps your testimonies I love them exceedingly. It's one thing to know God's word in your mind. It's another thing to keep his, his testimonies. In other words, to practice what God's word teaches. So the psalmist says, this is the highest priority of my life. Salvation, commandments, testimonies, precepts. I love it. I love it. Ask you a tough question. Are you aware today that you can't hide from God? God? God knows you. He sees you. And it's foolish to try to hide from God. 
Verse 168, the psalmist says, all my ways are before you. You can't hide from God. He knows who you are. He knows where you're going. He knows what you're thinking. And so total peace comes by walking with God in integrity every day of your life, every moment of every, of every day of your life. Yes, you can trust the Bible for redemption. You can trust the Bible for peace. And the peace of God comes to those who walk before him as an open book with integrity. That's what the psalmist was saying. And we're going to get to that in this last part of the last stanza. So let's turn there. Thirdly, trust the Bible for deliverance. Now for the last eight weeks, we've been drilling down in Psalm 119. And the whole purpose of Psalm 119 is for God to guide us to turn to Him and trust Him no matter what's happening in our life. In times of trouble, in times of prosperity, to turn to God and trust Him through His Word. So verse 169, the psalmist says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. So once again, he comes back around. This is the, the 22nd letter in the Hebrew alphabet in this stanza. He's coming to the home stretch. He's coming to their crescendo. And here's what he says. The Bible delivers me from ignorance. Look at what it says in verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. There's a lot of information out in the world that will pull you away from God. A lot of information in this world that will pull you toward trusting yourself and trusting the ways of the world rather than trusting God's word. And so the psalmist says, heads up, let my cry come before you, O God, give me understanding according to your word. I attended a public school board meeting this past week, and I met the superintendent of education for the Horry County Public Schools, and he said a few things that really resonated with me. First of all, he said, reading opens the door to learning. Now, I agree with that. Reading opens the door to learning. And then he said this, children learn to read through the third grade. After that, after the third grade, you read to learn for the rest of your life. Reading is incredibly important. And that's why God has given us His Word to be a lamp to our feet, to be a light unto our path. That's why it's so important for us to teach our children and model for our children what it looks like to read God's Word and obey God's Word, heed God's Word for a standard for life. Yes, for redemption, also for peace, but also for deliverance. Reading the Bible before children, so children can see and hear us reading the Bible. 
It's critical to understanding, to having wisdom that can only come from God. See it? He said, give me understanding according to your word. How are you doing at modeling before children? Modeling before people, young children and older children, what it looks like to get understanding from God's word. That's why on the front of your worship guide, we have a memory verse there for you to memorize. We want God's word to become a part of your, your, your mind so it can sink into your heart, so it can guide your actions. Because reading the Bible opens the door to understanding. The Bible is a lamp that lights our path. And the Bible opens our heart to the heart of God, which is your purpose in life, is to know God, to walk with Him. God, I pray that you'll give us children who are delivered from the ignorance of this world and give them understanding according to your holy word. Someone said this to me a number of years ago, and I think it's very true. He said, you teach what you know. You reproduce who you are. So I want to challenge this church to set the example before our circles of influence to truly let the Word of God drive our understanding. And now for the conclusion of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. What is he saying? He's saying there's two ways to live. The way of the world and the way of God. You have to make a choice. The way of the world says Everything in this world is about you. Draw a circle around yourself, and everything in the world is about you. You need to, uh, you know, you, you need to take up for yourself. You need to claim your rights. You need to uh, do what's best for you, regardless of what it's like for everybody around you. That's the way of the world. The way of God says, everything in my life is designed so that I can give praise to God. When I'm going through the valley, I celebrate God, I praise God, I rejoice in God, and thus I give glory to God. When I'm celebrating a victory, I celebrate that victory by giving praise to God and thanking Him for giving me that victory. The way of the world is any substitute that I substitute for the statutes of God, the Bible, the Word of God. And self-praise and pride are symptoms of living according to the way of the world. And it's the way, the Bible says, that leads to death. So be aware. What does the psalmist do as he concludes this long psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119? In verse 173, he cries out to God and listen to us cry. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I've chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, for your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me, 
I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Help, the psalmist says. God, I need help. Give me your salvation. I need your salvation. God, let your rules help me. Here's what he said. I've gone astray. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So when you're in trouble, today or any other day in your life, if you're not there now, you will be there sooner or later. When you're in trouble because of maybe a bad choice that you've made, maybe you've sinned against God, uh, the first step is to admit it. I mean, the psalmist said, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. He admitted he needed help. And then he cried out to God and he repented. He repented for that sin that he had committed. He admitted to God that he needed help and he asked for help. Have you come to that point in your life where you have admitted that you've rebelled against God, that you're a sinner? Have you come to that point in your life where you've been willing to say, God, help. I, I can't help myself. I need your help. I can't save myself. I can't redeem myself. You've provided a redeemer through your son, Jesus. I need help. I accept your redemption by admitting that I'm a sinner and asking for forgiveness for my sin, repenting and turning away from my sin and giving my life to you. Now, the psalmist only had the front half of that picture, but you have the whole picture. Jesus has come to this earth and lived to be your redeemer. And I trust and pray that you will not leave here today. I trust that you will confess and repent and let God deliver you. Because you can trust the Bible for your deliverance today. Every verse in Psalm 119, every single verse, all 174 verses, 76 verses, points you to trust God's word because his word is a radiant word. It brings life to that which seems to be dead. It brings light to that which seems to be dark. So the question is, what will you do? What will you do with the Bible today? Will you let it be a transforming agent in your heart that points you to your Savior? See, work will only get you so far in life. I mean, I've been not only with my friend this past week, but Hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people passing from the door of life through the door of death going out into eternity. And your work will only get you so far. But the work that God has done for you in saying to you, I love you and I've come to reclaim you, to bring you to my heart to walk with me, to fulfill that purpose in life. I love you. God has done that work. And it's your responsibility to receive it. 
And then let the word of God, let the Bible be like it was to the psalmist. A lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God, I thank you today that, that your word is trustworthy. We can trust your word for redemption. We can trust your word for peace. We can trust your word for deliverance. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, as you work in the lives of men, women, and students here today, I pray that if there's one who's never trusted Jesus, that today they will just admit that they're a sinner, believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died for their sin, on the third day arose from the grave to have victory over death. Every part of the work that's needed to redeem us has been accomplished by you. And I pray that every single person here will come to that point where today, if they've never done that, will trust your word, trust your truth, trust the Bible. Because God, you've called us to trust and obey or there's no other way to be happy but to trust and obey. God, continue to speak to our hearts now as we continue to worship in Jesus' name.